The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, 24th chapter. The colorful story of Jesus' appearance to two disciples on the road to Emmaus answers the question of how Jesus is to be recognized among us. Here, he is revealed through the scriptures and in the breaking of bread. Luke chapter 24. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be and remain with you all. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My dear friends in Christ. I uh, read across a clipping from uh, Reader's Digest from some years ago, a 
lady that was a, evidently a receptionist in a dental office told that uh, little story that there was a gentleman that had a habit of showing up very late for his appointments, and it had gotten to be something of a bad habit with him. And sure enough, according to what she wrote, that he, uh, on a certain day when he had another appointment, he had called, and he said, I'll be about 15 minutes late. That won't be a problem, will it? And she said, not at all. We just won't have time to administer an anesthetic. <laughs> he was early. Yeah, being in the right place at the right time can have some important aspects to it, whether it's a dental office or whether it's a journey where the Lord, our Heavenly Father, wants us to go. And that's at the very heart of what we are thinking about today, as we look at that lesson, that gospel message, and that fascinating account. And I, I do find it fascinating. I love this particular passage, all the Easter accounts. They're so personal. They're so vivid. They're joyful. And you just see these human beings almost tripping over themselves as they readjust to saying, it's a new world. It's a new era. Jesus is alive. And I guess I'm going to have to reorient myself. And that's what about, was about to happen to Cleopas and his companion, the other disciple in Emmaus. As I was doing some reading this past week, I ran across a reference to a particular type of prayer life that is part of monasteries and so on. St. Anthony and a few others had written out this whole thing called the itinerarium in Latin. And it basically means a prayer journey as you go deeper into meditation and so forth and approaching God on certain particular things. But just that word is what caught my attention. The itinerarium. It's the very word we use in English is the itinerary. Now, in the Latin, it means a little bit more of a specific set of rules or guides that these people were using. But as I saw that word and thought of how we use it in English, and thinking about that application there and its spiritual form there, I thought, isn't that an interesting thought? An itinerary for our spiritual life. Now, I like to travel, and I'm used to itineraries, when one plans a trip, and you think about all the places you plan to go, and the places you plan to stay, and the, very important, the places you plan to eat, and all of these things that go into an itinerary. But as we think about what our Lord is saying here, and what the use of that word is that developed in this particular spiritual practice, I think it's also true that our Lord has an itinerary for you and for me in our spiritual life as well. And that's something I think we too easily let slip away from us. We can get so busy with the cares of this life, or we can become so distracted about what might dismay us or cause us to feel less than happy about things, like those poor disciples who were leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus that day long ago. The events of the world can be very, very frightening, disheartening, and whether it's in our personal lives sometimes, the challenges we have is certainly in the national and even certainly the international scene, and we can easily say, oh my, what a sad situation we live in, and go about our own life and ignore the fact that maybe 
in the middle of it all, our Lord is saying, yes, I'm well aware of what this world can do. Look at my hands and my feet. But also, be aware, I've conquered it all. And when I say I have an itinerary, it would help if you would listen up a little bit and talked it over with me. I think that was part of what was going on in this particular situation. Because Emmaus, in their mind, was a destination. But in Jesus' plan, it was a rest stop. They thought, well, there's nothing more for us to do in Jerusalem. There's nothing more in this story of Jesus, this wonderful experience we've had with this great teacher and rabbi. We might as well go on back to our former life. It seems evidently it was their home, the way it's described there. And they were, I guess, going to resume life as they had known it before. And Jesus appears on the scene. And suddenly, everything changes. First of all, the very initial stage, this wonderful moment as he's explaining the scriptures, they say later on, we're not our hearts burning within us as he described to us and interpreted us what the prophets and the word of the Lord say. And then that marvelous moment of recognition. And the next thing you know, they're dashing all the way back to Jerusalem, which in my mind is also a rather striking thing in that day and age because it said all, evening was almost there. To be traveling around after dark in those ancient times and some of those roads was a pretty dangerous thing, but that was the last thing on their mind. They just wanted to get back and tell everybody the good news, he's alive and we have seen him. And it almost was like an antiphonal prayer or statement as they were saying this, the others were saying, we have seen this too. Hallelujah. And that begins a whole process of events. Because our Lord Jesus Christ was very busy on that Easter morning and on those days that followed before his ascension. And I don't know if this is the best way theologically to put it, but I think he was having to change his plans, his itinerary, a little bit. Now, of course, he's divine and omniscient, and he knew all along how this was really going to play out. But it's as if he was letting everyone know and letting us know as we read the passage, you know, I had a different itinerary in mind. Did you notice the fact that as he was giving the instructions to them in those days leading up to his crucifixion, he said, and then after that, I will go to Galilee, and I will show myself to you, and these things will be explained, and you'll understand more. And did you notice what the women encountered when they were at the tomb and the angel spoke to them? And he said, he's risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's going to go on to Galilee just as he told you. So where's Jesus? He has to appear in the upper room. He has to run on a sort of a jaunt over to Emmaus. He's having to go to the garden tomb and he talks to Mary and he told them he wanted to meet them in Galilee. But they weren't in Galilee. They were going back to their old lives, as Cleopas and the other disciple were doing. They were weeping in the garden by the tomb like Mary Magdalene was doing. They were scratching their head and wondering what exactly they had just seen with this empty tomb and the grave clothes there folded up, like Simon Peter and John. 
And so it almost does seem to me like Jesus was saying, okay, guys and gals, let's get with the program here. I was really planning to give a whole new set of instructions to you and explain a whole lot more things at our favorite spot by the Sea of Galilee, but you're not following through. So I'm going to go running after you, and I'm going to try and make clear to you exactly how this really is happening. And he speaks to Mary in that garden by the tomb, and just with the very statement of her name, she recognizes him. He appears to Simon Peter. He appears to the others and then to these gentlemen on the way to Emmaus. And one after one, each one, he gathers them together and as if to say, did I not tell you? I'm kind of glad that God doesn't usually say, I told you so. Because he'd have to repeat it all the time with me. But in a way, I think he was expressing a little bit of that did you notice the rather blunt way he speaks to those disciples? Oh, foolish men. Oh, slow of heart to believe everything that's written. Let me explain it to you one more time. And through the whole scripture they went. And their hearts were burning within them. I kind of chuckle as I think about those disciples, those men and women long ago but I should be careful when I do so because I'm well aware that mea culpa, <laughs> I do the same thing. And it's interesting how we consider our own lives and we can see ourselves in these words of Scripture, and that is not an accident. The Holy Spirit is communicating to us something that will make our hearts burn within us and remind us that, yes, there has been an itinerary all along. Jesus' plan for his ministry and his plan for your life and your ministry. Yes, he has a plan. He has a triptych, as we used to call him from AAA, the whole plan. This is what I have in mind. Where are you? Where are you? Are we on our way to Emmaus? Are we going back to things that we thought of before? Are we going on to things in despair? Or are we waiting in prayer and supplication for the Lord's itinerary? As I was preparing the message and thinking about moments like that in my own life, I had shared a story with some before. I know I shared it with the confirmation class, but I don't know if I shared it with the entire congregation. If I have, forgive me for repeating it, but a moment in my life where I saw the hand of the Lord at work in that way was in about 1992. I had been serving several years already at that point in Texas, in a little church there in rural Texas, and loved it. But through my seminary years and during those years, I had often prayed, Lord, at some point, I really would love to be back in the Middle Atlantic area, where I had those roots on my mother's side of the family and enjoyed so much this part of the world. But then somewhat in uh, alternate, uh, alternate thought, I also had come to really enjoy Texas. And being in that countryside near Austin, I had come to really enjoy the city of Austin. It's such a fabulous city, so much there and so much of interest and musically and our Lutheran college there and so many things that drew me there. And I 
prayed a number of times, gee, Lord, I really wouldn't mind someday living in Austin. Well, in 1992, the Lord saw fit to extend that call to me from Maryland, from Hartford County. And the next thing you know, I found myself in the Middle Atlantic region again, and here I still am 25 years later. My goodness, a quarter of a century. <laughs> but what I particularly remember when I had arrived there in Bel Air and was living in the parsonage near the spot where my grandparents had lived and where my father had begun that church some 30 years before, I was looking through some of the books that belonged to my grandmother. And one was this particular book. And I was paging through, I love the names of all the original land grants that are part of the uh, way that they name their things like uh, Aquila's Inheritance or Come by Chance and so on as they named their land grants back in the 17th and 18th century. And I started looking around at all those different things on that map, and I saw one that was named Austin. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? There's an original land grant here, and it's named, dated 1654 by Thomas Thurston, a Quaker preacher, which is a little bit of an uh, interesting description right there. But he patented that land, with a royal grant in 1654. And I looked a little closer, and I realized, you know, Bynum Run goes through there. And there's that little hook in the run, the stream, that is very distinctive of that spot. And I looked a little closer, and I suddenly realized that the 60 or 70 acres of land that belonged to that church, where St. Matthew is placed there, and the parsonage is stayed placed there, I was in Austin. And I suddenly had this thought of the Lord and my grandparents chuckling and laughing up in heaven saying, now you got the joke. You thought you were praying for Austin, Texas. There's an Austin in the middle Atlantic too. And that's where he wanted me to be. The Lord has his ways. And I just share that in the spirit of once more in my life, I began to realize I thought I had an itinerary. And God said, you might have your itinerary, but I've got mine. And guess which one is the better one? Step by step, I kept learning, and I still continue to learn how the Lord is saying, my itinerary is really the better one. And the challenge for us, I think, is to realize sometimes that we don't always understand exactly why he does what he does or works the way in which he does. What he's inviting us to do in faith is to step forward and trust him. Either it's going to be a much better path than we could have imagined, or sometimes it will be a challenging and difficult one, but he is going to use you, he's going to use me to reach people, touch people's lives in a way that we couldn't have done otherwise. Are we willing to accept that itinerary, that travel plan? That is the ultimate message of the cross. He left that cross having paid the debt for you and for me. And he left the tomb in a declaration that it's a new life, a new kingdom, a new plan, and it's as much yours now as his because he's given it to you and to me. And in prayer and in seeing him in the word and in the breaking of the bread, we can be nourished 
to have our hearts burning within us with this new wonderful life, this new wonderful itinerary, like Cleopas and the other disciple, like Simon Peter, like John, like Mary Magdalene, we will recognize him on the way as he's always been with us. If I can draw any lessons from all of that, I think there are so many. But one thing's for sure. I think he's trying to get across to us. I'm listening. I'm with you. And I'm never going to leave you. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.